Hey everyone, before we begin, I'd like to tell you about our sponsor this week, which is Manifold. So, managed cloud services save developers time and effort. It doesn't really make sense to build your own logging platform, CMS, or authentication service by yourself when a managed tool or API can already solve the problem for you. But how do you find the right services to integrate? How do you learn to stitch them together? And how do you manage access and credentials between multiple projects and multiple teams? Managing all those details alone is a full-time job. Manifold makes your life easier. It provides a single workflow to organize your services, connect your integrations together, and then share them with your team. You can discover the best services for your projects in the Manifold marketplace, or bring your own custom integrations and manage them all under one dashboard. With services covering authentication, messaging, monitoring, content management, and more, Manifold will keep you on the cutting edge so you can focus on building your project rather than focusing on problems that have already been solved. And once you have the services you need, you can deliver your configuration to any environment and deploy on any cloud. Manifold is completely free to use, but if you head over to manifold.co slash DNC, you'll get a coupon code for $10, which you can use to try out any service on the Manifold marketplace. How many shows did you tour? That's why you're so good at clapping. How many shows did I play? You said you did like 600 shows in like two years or something. I did, yeah. Jesus Christ. It was a lot, yeah. That's hardcore. It was, uh, yeah, it was too, too much. <laughs> it kind of burnt, it kind of burnt me out. Yeah, I was you pretty think? burnt out. You think? Yeah. Yeah, it was cool. It was cool for like six months and then it was just a job after that. I can't imagine doing anything 600 times besides like, I don't know, going to sleep and waking up like that. Like that sounds nice to do 600 times. Well, that's kind of like, that's kind of what it becomes, right? <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so so I played a lot, obviously, and I also did some road management and stuff too. So for me, it wasn't, I don't know, it's interesting because we would go places and play and people would ask me questions like, what's it like to do this for a living? And I'd be like, uh, I didn't, I did not answer that question very well because I knew what they wanted to hear because... A lot of, you know, a lot of people that will come up and talk to you afterwards are either like a big fan or they're a musician themselves. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of musicians would be like, is it, is it what I hope it will be like? And you don't want to say no, <laughs> but it, it depends. It really depends. Uh, so for me, it would have maybe been different. So I was doing contracting. I was a contract guitar player when I was playing a lot. So that's, that's kind of one side of it. So it wasn't like, I was playing my own music and later on I did tour with my own band and that was a little bit better. It's akin to like working for a big startup where, yeah, you're still in the startup world and people are like, oh, what's it like to work for a startup? But it's a big startup, you know, there's money there and it's it's fine, but it's not your startup, if that makes sense. Sure. And then And then you work for yourself at a small startup like I'm doing now and there's you know, then you're constantly like worried about like how much can we spend? How much are we spending? Can we cut costs? You know what I mean? It's like a different ball game all, all together. And so being uh, the contracting guitar player was just a job because that's what it was. I received a paycheck for doing it. Whereas while I was writing my music and being more creative, it was, where's money? We don't have any. How do we get money? And so then you do get money and you go on tour and then you don't have any more money because <laughs> gas and food are expensive. And... Yeah, you're making money off of merch, but there's like it's like this whole thing because you're paying for gas and you're paying for food, and depending on the size of your band, it's like you can get a guarantee uh, at the at the show 
for for playing, but usually it's not that much. If you're on a label, they might subsidize it, but still, it's it's still borrowed money. So it's all the same. It's all the same. There's just music involved when you when you're doing that. I'm picturing the scene from Blues Brothers where they uh, they go and play the country western bar, and they end up drinking more beer than they make at the show. <laughs> so they end up owing the bar money at the end of the night. That's what I picture your life was like. It's that it was yeah. I mean, like I've seen a lot of places, but it's also like yeah, I've been to whatever city a bunch of times, but I've been to like a few blocks of that one city a bunch of times. Right, right. It's like it's like oh, I've been to Denver Airport. Right, yeah. <laughs> you go and you play the same clubs, and you know sometimes you go and play a bigger club, and that's fine. But it's usually not too far away because usually it's like downtown or whatever. So it's. Yeah, it's, it's it's just all there. It's funny because when I'm talking about this stuff, I just keep thinking about software, like oh, yeah, <laughs> grass is greener kind of stuff. Like you you kind of pick a stack and then you like the stack and then you're looking around, you're like, oh, that seems nice too. Well, you and I came to development from two totally different backgrounds. Like I don't really know, understand really exactly how you got started in this, but like I was doing software development, like... <laughs> Like I was writing basic in like my third grade, like classroom when kids are out at recess kind of thing. Right. Huh. Like it was, it was okay. just like my like fun thing to do. And, you know, I like basically taught myself up even like through college. Like it was just, I, the, the programming courses were just the part of that part of my degree was not um, very helpful, but I'm not saying it's to my own horror. I'm just saying like, that was my like fun thing to do for a while. And then eventually like, Oh, of course that becomes my job. Right. Mm. And now I don't really do it for fun nearly as much. It's not to say that it's ruined it for me. It's not to say that I don't like doing it or, it, you know, it is a job. Sometimes it feels like a job, uh, but I still enjoy it and I'm still good at it, right? Like it's still, sure. it still uh, makes me feel productive and, you know, I'm able to contribute and, you know, make a business out of doing it, which is awesome. Like you can't really ask for a lot more than that. So right. it's it's not like... It gets it, it depends on the person, right? It depends on how you're coming at it. Um, exactly. Yep. Just like just like anything, right? You you start you have some kind of hobby, and if you turn it into your business, it seems like, oh, it, like you said, from the outside, it seems like the greatest thing in the world, right? But it's you know it it, it definitely depends on the person, the situation, and but in general, it's probably I would say it's probably a, a mixed bag for most people. Exactly. I think it's a mixed bag for most people. And I think that pretty much any industry is is like that. And no matter what it looks like from the outside, it, it's always it's always going to be that. I think having like you add more money into the situation, it doesn't necessarily make it any better. You just have more money. That's, <laughs> Different problems, that, and, right? Which which uh, most people that have had a lot of money might say that. Uh, and if they've if they've known like having nothing, and then they've known having money, they they might appreciate it. But it's not the it's not what gives them fulfillment, I don't think. Or at least that's what I've heard people say. I've never been rich, but I've had nothing. And I've been comfortable. And being comfortable is okay, but it's not... It doesn't give me a sense of like being fulfilled and being happy. That's not where happiness comes from. But what's interesting is like I started playing guitar when I was 13. And I practiced and practiced and practiced. And uh, I ended up dropping out of college. And so I learned how to program because I needed money. It wasn't... Like I did some HTML in school and... I messed around with like making some video games with RPG Maker back in the day, but it, it was never like a spend time programming sort of thing. And I was in design school and I was freelancing as a designer, making money that way. And I had 
you know, friends that were doing the same and none of us knew any programmers, but we needed to have our sites built out. So it's so funny to think back, think back about this time. And I don't know that I've shared this much about it. I think I may have like talked to Paul a little bit about kind of like where I came up. But at one point I was kind of like bumming around on couches and stuff and was, wasn't doing very well. And we were like working a job to pay rent and selling plasma for food money at that point. And uh, yeah, I was living in Minnesota. So like the winters were cold and I'm like walking to, I just remember being miserable, like just being really cold. I'm walking to class. I didn't have enough money for a parking ticket or like a parking permit to park on campus. And so I would park in the free lot and walk to class. And it was like a mile to the math class. And it's like almost below zero outside. It's like a miserable picture, right? Not that anyone should feel sorry for me, but that's, that's what I was doing, right? You're doing a good job. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, uh, I was still doing pretty okay. You know what I mean? I had like a place to go and, and all that stuff. But, um, yeah, so I was doing some freelance stuff and I was like, well, maybe I should give WordPress naming a shot. And that's kind of how it all started was <laughs> I started making WordPress names. WordPress, the beginning of and the bane of every developer's existence. Right. And, and that what's funny is that the technology stuff is always kind of like giving me a leg up everywhere I've gone. So when when an R&B artist came through town and I went to see them and and they were and some of the musicians were teaching like a clinic and I went to that and that's kind of where I got picked up and I started doing rodeoing work and it helped a lot that I knew how to make a website because like we could use some help on our website and you could also roadie for us and I was like cool oh sure and so I wasn't even playing right away I just saw an opportunity you know and uh, so I dropped out of college because I hated that too. I was I was already freelancing, and the stuff they were teaching me in school was good foundational theory stuff. But at that point, I was like, I'm already I'm making a paycheck here doing it, so I'm going farther in debt learning this. And that's that was like why I decided to leave. And uh, so yeah, so like the technology stuff kind of like helped me get my foot in the door. And then you know one of their musicians ended up leaving, and then I was there. I knew the songs, I had practice, I'd been around, and so they gave me a shot, and that's how I started playing music that is that's uh that's a pretty pretty wild ride when you when you condense it all down like that yeah yeah but like what you were saying earlier it's kind of a mixed bag for everybody and i think a lot of the mixed bag for me have had to do with i don't know it's like you you spend a lot of time thinking about wanting to do something and you get there and it's not exactly what you thought or hoped it would be so like the one of the biggest things i remember is walking onto this walk, walking into the stage and there was 20,000 people in the audience. Oh, God. And I just like looked at them and I was like, I don't know anybody. These people don't know me. I don't like, I don't have any friends here. And I just remember it was like a, it was just a weird, like surreal kind of moment where I'm standing in a spot where I had kind of like idolized people previously. And again, it's different situations because maybe if it were my own music or the circumstances were different, it would have felt different, but it didn't feel like what I thought it would. And so that kind of like disillusioned me, I guess. And again, that like helped it become even more of a job at that point. So at that point, I was just kind of like, all right, well, I don't feel like at the end of the day, I'm still just going and sitting on the same bus. I'm still just sitting there, you know, like texting people that I can't hang out with <laughs> and not wanting to hang out with the people that I'm around with and, and stuff like that, which kind of makes me sound like a curmudgeon or whatever. But that's just what I was going through at the time. I think... Another big piece of it that is like the creativity aspect of it, right? Like when you're doing something for fun, doing something as a side business, you're just putting videos on YouTube or, or just writing little side apps or recording things on SoundCloud, right? As like a musician might do, I don't know. Mm -hmm. That's, you're, you're constrained by, 
your, you know, your space, your equipment, your money, your time, like everything is constrained and it forces you into doing things a certain way and like being creative about it, right? Mm -hmm. Like working around your limitations. This is a very common thing in like Bob Ross would do this in his painting things. He's like, today we're only going to paint in grays, right? And he would just like still make his beautiful landscapes, but just with like the color gray. Yeah, yeah. And just to prove that, or the color gray, you know what I mean? Like I get you. Shades, shades of gray. And that process, while it seems, when you're in it, it seems like, oh, I, I need more gear. I need more equipment. I need a faster computer. I need better microphone. I need, you know, whatever it is. You're, there's always more gear you could buy. There's always more time you could have. There's always, it could be better produced. Your code could always have fewer bugs. It could always make more money. You could always have more visitors or whatever. But when you look back on that and when it, when it finally actually reaches that kind of like tipping point and where it actually becomes like a real thing and it starts to become like routine, then you look back on those times fondly. You're like, oh, like I missed the time that I like just sat down and, and wrote this little side program or, you know, wrote this little song and just, just jammed on the guitar for hours, right? Like right, yeah. that that part that's like kind of idolized by the people who just do it as a hobby, like that that kind of goes away when you when it becomes comes your day to day. Yeah. I wonder if that has has a, you know anything to do with it. I, I think it has a lot to do with it. It has a lot to do with not sleeping a lot either. That would <laughs> that would make you miserable. And a lot of it has to do with the people that you're around. I mean, like doing road management stuff, I, I kind of needed people to be awake at a certain time and in a bus at a certain time and like ready to go at a certain time. And people are very, as, in general, people are very unreliable when it comes to uh, being organized or when it comes to like running a tight ship, people are just unreliable and it made my job very hard. Yeah. In retrospect, you're probably too organized of a person to be dealing with masses of, you know, right brained individuals for lack of a better word. I was very good at that. And that's why I ended up getting that position, but it was more of a detriment to me that I was good at it because like you said, uh, dealing with very, very right, right brained people. And it, yeah, it's just, just difficult. Like, Hey man, hey, I'm going to leave you at the the hotel. Like if you're not ready, I'm just leaving. You know, you can, you can, <laughs> we'll find another guitar player. We'll find another. I remember one time, uh, I was still contracting and we flew a keyboard player in. he was supposed to be new. And then we ended up like, it wasn't, I don't know if he got stage fright or what happened. And then they would just like turn around and flew him home that night. They're like, Nope. See ya. So I picked this guy for the airport and then dropped him back off at the airport later. Oh my God. Yeah. But anyway, yeah, it's a lot of it had to do with that sort of stuff. I think now if I were to do it now, I'd be a little bit, I'm older and I should have more life experience, but yeah, I don't know. It's, I don't, I don't know that I would choose to to do that again. And I think that there's something to be said about protecting, um, like you said, those times where you're just kind of like by yourself in your gym and you're really kind of in the flow and you're having, an, you're really enjoying what you're doing. And there's something to be said for protecting those moments because those are the good moments. And it's only when, okay, I, you're like, okay, I like this. Maybe other people will like it. And then you start putting it out there and then it becomes the grind. Then it becomes, you got to push it on social media. You got to have a plan. You have to have, you have to have this and you have to have that plan and you have to buy merch. And then, you know what I mean? It becomes like, it's kind of like you said, building small little apps for fun and then when you start to think about putting it out there for people to use, you got to think about all this extra stuff that just drains the life out of it. Yeah, back when I, I had a couple of months in between graduating and getting my first real job, and I was living at my in-laws for a couple of months, and 
my wife Jess was working and I didn't really have anything to do. And like, so I just, you know, was applying to jobs and looking at jobs and stuff. But then I was also just like writing proof of concept Rails apps that like ended up not going anywhere. And I actually wrote and released one. I might have written the second iOS app in there as well, uh, which is still going today and it's still really popular. And it's like, nice. It was just because I, um, just you know didn't have anything to do and just had that kind of freedom to throw stuff against the wall and see what sticks and you know eventually a real job got in the way of that and that was fine that's you know what that time was for uh and then when i had that real job for a couple of years and then i started working on rhr on the side <laughs> right you can see where this is going uh and then the cycle just repeats so uh and that was a side project that came became a full thing and you know i don't i don't think less of it for that like i still enjoy working on the project it's still my baby whereas like dk is not really like something you i mean you own it now but it wasn't like it's not like you're passionate about furniture right right yeah it's a little it's a little different in that respect but it's uh we're still kind of in the, in the same boat in the sense that we're you know we care about our products and we want them to to function well and the, yeah the driving driving force changes from like what makes me happy to like what makes other people happy like the users right yeah the focus yeah. kind of like you 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 start making something for yourself and then it becomes someone else's yeah i think that, that you you kind of always need something that's yours whether it's a different hobby that's not computers uh and i would paul and i used to talk a lot about that even before we started the podcast it was you know making sure that we had more than just technology uh, to 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 fall like to to look at it and do because it affects work stuff when when you're you just you end up getting burnt out eventually is is what happens but yeah it's interesting time to to think back on in my in my life and think what I'm doing now and I I really enjoy what I'm doing now there's obvious you know challenges and things like that but it's it's interesting because like when I was younger all I could think about was just playing music you know. And then you get out there and, and yeah, you could you could just like buy a van and get in a van and go play shows and meet people. But then there, then life gets in the way, right? Bills gets in the way. Then just just life. Like you have, you know, friends and family. Someone gets sick. You're not home. You're not there. You're somewhere else. You know what I mean? So, yeah. I don't, not to be like a downer or anything like that. <laughs> but it's just, yeah, I, I don't know. It's, it's interesting to think about. It's very interesting to think about. Well... We're here now. Yeah. We've arrived at this point, made it this far. Yeah, we have so far. I mean, software is still running somehow. <laughs> Let me tell you a little bit about what I've been working on over the past couple of weeks. Because I've been hogging the mic for the past couple of weeks. No, it's it's all good. It's just, uh, <laughs> I was saying to you before we recorded, uh, the further I get distance from this stuff, uh, I've already forgotten uh, a lot of it. Sure. Uh, and it also becomes less important. Like, it seems really important when you're working on it. And then two weeks later, you're like, you already forgot what you did. But here we are. Yeah, so the last I think I left off was I was starting to work on, well, I was in the middle of working on this kind of redesign of our RHR, the console we call it, the main like single page app that you use to access the application, connect to the sites and control the radios, antennas and stuff like that. And rewriting it from this, mess of 7,000 lines of jQuery spaghetti code, mm. no exaggeration there, to this nice, beautiful, structured Nuxt app with components and GraphQL and a Phoenix backend and WebSockets. And it's going awesome. I 
learned through you, of course, about Netlify, which has been awesome because I was like, I was developing locally. And I was like, oh man, I just need to just figure out the deployment story at some point. You have to figure that out, right? Right. So, and uh, like deployment, deploying things is always a pain in the butt, especially for, you know, having dealt with deploying Phoenix apps and stuff. It's still not quite there yet. So like, oh, okay, well, there's this Netlify thing and they support Nux pretty much out of the box. Like they, they mentioned their docs and stuff. So it's like, okay, I'll make an account and sign it up. And it's like, in like 20 minutes, it was in production, <laughs> right? <That's, laughs> you just point yeah. to your GitHub, you tell it, uh, you know, I hear I'm on the develop branch. And uh, they did have an issue where like the application failed to deploy a couple times and it just eventually just kept failing. And I just sent them a message and the next day it was fixed. They're so like, okay, try it again. I have no idea what was wrong. I set up everything right. Something was just weird on their end. Huh. Yeah, I don't know. But I sent a message and they fixed it within 24 hours. And uh, now now everything's just deploying fine. Like they got back to you and said they fixed something? Yeah, they didn't even tell me what it was or they didn't tell me that I did anything wrong. So who knows? They just waved the, the magic stick. In the yeah, air. basically. I'm familiar with that. You're the wielder of it. That's very true. Is that a word? Wielder? Wielder, I have I have done the same thing to many a customer. Let's say that. <laughs> Try it now. Just refresh. Yeah, just refresh and see if it's still happening. They don't know that you like deployed a whole app. Oh, it seems you're working now. Thanks. Uh, that does feel magical from both ends. Yeah, it feels magical for you too because like you've got it down to science now. That's great. Yeah. And yeah, so this Netlify thing is great. I literally just, I'm making changes. I'm on a call with people, with, you know, my co- my coworkers, and I'm just like making changes and pushing them up. It's like, okay, refresh. Uh, actually, I have a way to force refresh it. So you can just go and re- force refresh the page <laughs> remotely. <laughs> really interesting. Yeah, I, I built that in uh, from day one because I knew I was going to be making changes I'm back from the jQuery days. So like, so, so, so how does that, how does that work? It's really dumb. It's just a WebSocket push and the thing just does window.refresh or location.refresh or something. So you just had a socket and you just you just send a message to reload the page. Yeah. And I can target like individual users, right? Interesting. Individual sessions. So I can refresh just one person or I can refresh everybody. If I made like a substantial or like a breaking update, you know, I can just force force people to do the thing. It's a, it's an escape hatch. I don't do it often ever, but it's nice to have. Uh, one time what happened was I got the, this is back, you know, in the jQuery app where I got it into a state where it was just crash on load. Like it would just not, wouldn't, it was stuck on the loading screen. So some error, something was wrong and, and I couldn't get people, you know, so they couldn't connect to the socket. So that means I couldn't force a refresh when I pushed the fix. Right. Mm-hmm. And it was clogging up our servers because all the people stuck on this loading page kept trying to connect trying to connect trying to connect on like a you know a retry mm-hmm. and it was just it was just bogging everything down so <laughs> at the top of every window there's also a little bit of javascript that every i don't know minute or so it pulls like a like a bulletin endpoint and says hey is there already like a bulletin it just split displays like a flash notice on the top and that's just a way for us to say like hey the site's going down for a couple minutes or whatever and it kind of pushes it doesn't push it out to people but we pull for it okay oh yeah so yeah yeah combine that which luckily was just raw html (laughs) with so what i did was i basically did an injection attack on my own site so I injected into that bulletin a refresh. So that way, when the bulletin showed up, it would refresh the page for all those people immediately with JavaScript. And then I waited a minute for all the people to pull down all the things. And then I took the notification out and the notification went away. And then they got the, the latest code. That was that was not my proudest moment. 
<laughs> hey, he got the he got the job done. Yeah. So I actually had some feedback. People people mentioned that they they liked when we talked about bugs and things like that. Oh, talk about bugs or talk about hacks? Because I got piles and piles of hacks. Both. Uh, the the API they used that I well uh, Paul used was called uh, Broadcast Channel. Broadcast Channel. I'm not familiar with that. Broadcast Channel. Let me put it in the notes here real quick because people need to know that I'm doing that. Broadcast Channel interface represents a named channel that any browsing context of a given origin could subscribe to. Uh, it allows communication between different documents and different Windows tabs, frames, or iframes of the same origin. Messages are broadcasted via a message event fired at all broadcast channel objects listening to the channel. That is cool. So that's literally it. It's, it's like a very simple thing. And so, yeah, so we just have, uh, we just have, what we, what we did was when you, when you get on DK, it actually just makes a new uh, broadcast channel and we put it in dollar sign, uh, the dollar sign uh, for view so it's shared globally. And so we can do dollar sign dot um, DK broadcast channel and that way we can do things to other tabs if we need to. So for example, if someone changes uh, a certain thing, I don't want to say what it is, but if someone changes a certain thing or does a certain thing, we can broadcast that to their other open tabs and just reload their pages. That <laughs> just feels like a hack, but that's actually pretty cool. I did not know about this. I'm thinking like if you had like a Vuex middleware where every time you like mutated the state on one tab, it just did it on the other tabs. Yeah. That would be uh, magical for some. So, so the caveat is that support is not great. <laughs> As in, <laughs> it's like IE is just not a thing and Safari is not really a thing with it. But we know the that the people that we made this for pretty much exclusively just use Chrome and that, that shouldn't be changing. So, And as we just learned, uh, Microsoft is basing their next browser off of WebKit. Turns out. Chrome, Chromium, whatever. So, Although we'll still have to support IE11, so there's that. <laughs> At least you're not supporting IE8. Or are you? No, we're not. We, we only go back to 11. The bad, bad old days. Now we're just in the bad old days. That was the bad, bad old days. Those are just the old days. <laughs> Yeah, so what were we talking about? Right, so Netlify. Netlify, uh, Nuxt, Nuxt thing is great. It's super fast. It loads in production. It's just like super snappy because I use a, it's just a single page app, Nuxt app. I don't use a server-side rendering at all. So basically, I'm not really using much of Nuxt at all. I'm just using the conventions. It's a single page. Uh, I use Vuex for storing the state. I built these, I think I talked about this before, I built these kind of controllers on top of Vuex that, so instead of using actions and getters in in Vuex, I actually just use Vuex only for state and mutations. Right. And then the controller has, basically does the actions and the, um, what did I say, getters. And it also has additional state in there that I can't put in Vuex for various reasons. So these controllers, I kind of just give me more flexibility that way. And I'm thinking about just maybe ditching Vuex altogether because if I can just figure out how to make like a stateful or excuse me, uh, an observable, like a like a view responsive, like basically make my own store without having to do Vuex, I think that would be cool. So I don't know. It's just something I'm thinking about. Is it just in the interest of like it being lighter or... Well, just because now there's like a lots of steps because I've got these controllers and the controllers, all they do is just like commit mutations. And it's like, why don't I just have the controller just do the mutation and just own its own state? Oh, I see. But I don't, I haven't quite figured out how to actually just make, like make a plain object that's an observable. There's probably, there's probably a thing for that. I haven't ever tried to look into it, but. Probably just something stupid like view set and just be done with it. <laughs> I don't know. Probably something like that. Yeah. I don't know. I haven't ever tried to look into it. I mean, we use, we use VX a lot for the design collective, but. We're not using nearly as much state as you are, I don't think. Uh, I mean, we use viewers for mostly just like the global 
We use Vue for things that are in, like in in multiple different layouts. For example, like searching tools and stuff like that. We use Vuex for. But other things, it's we just really use kind of like a container, uh, kind of like a smart container and dumb view kind of setup for that. Where where we have like a container component that doesn't really have anything to do with presentation. It just has all the functions. Excuse me. It has all the methods for for getting the data that it needs and delegating that data to views that really don't have any logic inside of them. They just kind of bubble up events if they need to do something. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. Our use case is a little more in depth. Like I would rely on that for the entire state of the application basically. So, but yeah, it's, it worked great. I haven't really used, had a need to use any of the features like scrolling through history in Vuex, like, like going back and forth in state. It's just not like the, the, the mutations come in so quickly with, with all these messages that it's, I don't know. It's, it hasn't really been that useful for me to using the, the dev tools. I haven't really used it either, now that I think about it. It's interesting because it's like one of the cool things that they always show off, the whiz-bang feature, like, oh, you can turn back time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You can be Doctor Strange. And uh, yeah, I literally never used it. <laughs> In fact, it actually caused more problems than solutions because the thing just gets mucked up with mutations because I've got thousand mutations and then the Vuex dev tools crash, which I know right. the fix is coming, but like in the next version, but it's not there yet. Yeah. And so half the time I can't even, I have to force quit Chrome because Vuex dev, Vue dev tools have crashed my browser. Have you, have you tried the new ones, the new beta version? No, I, I should do that. I have. It performs much, much nicer, but it's a little buggy still. Okay. But yeah, it, it does perform much nicer. So speaking of performance, a couple of things I learned about when doing the deployment uh, were related to performance improvements. So like uh, I'm using Purge CSS, which because I'm using Tailwind, which has a billion utility classes for CSS, uh, Purge CSS crawls through your entire, all your components and figures out exactly which CSS classes you're using and then rips out everything else from your CSS, which is awesome. Like it reduces your CSS by like an order of magnitude, right? Right. So that that was great. And actually, because some of the, if you ever have a class name that's dynamically generated, uh, you can't pick up on that, obviously. Mm-hmm. So you have to kind of add regular expressions and rules to like exclude the things that you needed to. So that was weird for a while. So why why is this button the wrong color? And it's just you know it was the right it was being stripped out from the state. So that was uh, that was eye opening. Uh, Nuxt analyze. So this was cool. You showed me this, and because I noticed the bundle sizes were pretty big and, and webpack was complaining like oh this is above the minimum <laughs> recommended you know 300 kilobytes or whatever it is yeah it was sending like yellow uh to your console yeah yeah and it really stands out in the sea of green so it does yeah nuxt analyze pops up this great little thing and it shows you exactly in a browser exactly how much space each dependency of your application is but it shows it in like a two-dimensional fashion like if you ever use disk inventory x on the mac have you ever seen that? Disk. I have not. Disk. Oh. Inventory X. Yeah. It's older than God and it still works. It looks like it. <laughs> it looks like it. But it's amazing because it, it just shows you the whole, it shows you like where the biggest chunks of your file system are being used up by files and folders. And I, I occasionally I run through there and be like, what the heck is this? So Nux Analyze is similar to that. It kind of lets you, it shows you in like squares. <laughs> hmm two dimensions how much space things are taking up and it is really visual so i f- found that my biggest chunk of my bundle was moment.js which is notoriously uh 
large. Correct. Because it has like every single localization built into it. Yeah, it's not not very good. It's kind of the old way of doing things, right? Right, yeah, yeah. Where you would just kind of jQuery, you know, add a plugin or whatever. It's that kind of mentality where you just have one library that does everything. So I migrated Moment.js over to Luxon, which is made by the same guy and uh, much smaller. And I was able to customize to do exactly what I wanted. So that was great. And that reduced the bundle size by, I don't know, 150 kilobytes or something. <laughs> Talk about a quick win, right? Yeah, yeah. That was that was definitely worth it. Uh, I had a Markdown parser in there because I was lazy. Uh, I pushed bulletins to the console in Markdown, uh, not even for editing or anything, just 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 push pushing bulletons and you know reading bulletons. I was like, well, that's dumb. So I took that out and did a Markdown rendering on the server. So now instead of pushing down Markdown, I pushed down HTML. Mm, that makes sense, right? And uh, that was fine. So we got that out of there. And uh, yeah, it's just been that was those were the big things. So it's cool to hear you talk about this stuff because I'm we are talking about you kicking around the idea of remaking this and using Vue for it. Yeah. And now it's it's pretty close to being live, right? It's very close. I've got I've got my my coworkers have started using it and like I have a whole host of feedback now, which is great. It's but it's actually usable. Like they're actually using it and it's 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 cool. <laughs> it's already better. Like they already had some changes. And again, like I said, I was on a call and I'm just making changes and pushing them up because it's because of the way it's structured. It's just it's just that much easier to to make the changes. And that's that's just such a big win for us. Like I'll give you an example. So uh, when you're looking at the radio, you've got like the frequency and you've got a couple of like menus for like what mode it's in and stuff. And then you've got you have to figure out like what's the best way to tune a radio on a web browser like normally you have a radio and a big knob and you spin the knob and it right it tunes the radio and the little thing slides around mm -hmm. that does not really lend itself to like a mouse <laughs> that kind of experience sure where you're kind of flicking through the dial but you so you need like to be able to make large changes quickly right spin the dial but you also need to be able to like fine tune and, and hone in on the frequency that you're tuning in on so there's like different magnitudes of changes you need to make and We've tried different things over the years. We've tried like a jQuery knob component where like you can drag it with the mouse and it kind of spin it around in a circle. But lots of people have, you know, hand-eye coordination issues with that. And understandably, right? It's it's kind of a weird thing to be doing, clicking and holding and then spinning your mouse like clockwise or counterclockwise. It's not really, it's not a really common, yeah. you know, computer paradigm. Right. <laughs> and so... Now I've tried like different buttons with arrows, like you click and hold and like it tunes faster and faster and faster. Or like what I have now is buttons with different steps. So like one arrow moves it like a small amount, two arrows moves it more, three arrows moves it really fast, right? Nice. Anyway, everything I've done, people have complained about. <laughs> really? Right? They complain either that they changed it or the, you know, the new one's worse or the old one is... Complaining because it's just different? Mostly because it's different or, yeah, yeah. It's like no one is happy with it and I'm not happy with it, you know, but now it's just a component on a page. Like it's literally, I can just, if I want to, I can even just give a user preference, which I think I'm going to end up doing and uh, just have the user select whatever freaking one they want. I'll build five of them. I don't <laughs> care. Right. Easy. It's easy. It's, it is easy. It, it feels easy. Yeah. And that's worth it. Like that's actually real honest to God improvement, not just for the sake of, you know, making it easier for maintain. It's a better experience. So that that's been really rewarding already, and it's not even in production yet, right? That's pretty cool. I mean, I mean, 
I clicked around on it too because you sent me like a private link and it was pretty nice. Oh shoot, I did. I think so. I gotta block you. <laughs> but no, yeah, it was nice. It was it was a good experience and it's cool to kind of see that come from like concept to through to like real real thing. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's definitely been. I have to really really keep pushing myself to finish this because I've started doing this <laughs> multiple times. Mm-hmm. Uh, I tried to do it in React probably last year at some point, and that didn't get very far because I just hated dealing with React. And although parts of my little jQuery app are little React components kind of like sprinkled in there, Mm -hmm. which is better, but still not great. So it's, it's very, very close. And I'm glad I was able to just kind of focus on just this one piece and kind of swap it at wholesale. You know, this is with very, very minimal server side changes. One thing I did do was that Every time, so there are a few API calls here besides just WebSocket. So the WebSocket stuff is already on Phoenix, right? So that's that was great. I could just pull in PhoenixJS and and build like a WebSocket messaging system, you know, you know, like a subscription system in the app in the Next app, and it works great. But there's also like a couple of API calls. There's like there's some polling things. There's some authentication pieces, right? So what I did was whenever I encountered one of those like RESTful API calls, I would open up my Phoenix app implement it in GraphQL, <laughs> just the API calls that I needed. There's probably like, I don't know, a half dozen of them. Uh, and then deploy that into production. And then I would implement the GraphQL, you know, client in the next step. Right. And it, cause I already had that in there and it's just been, that's just been a really nice, it's just kind of excuse to start moving these things over to GraphQL when I can. So I can start kind of deprecating the old, the old stuff. And and it's been great. Uh, everything is is GraphQL and WebSockets on Nux. There's not a single RESTful API call. That's cool. We kind of like we've been doing that too. Only uh, all of our GraphQL stuff is read only. We haven't done any mutations yet. Oh, I think yeah. I mean, uh, like ninety percent of these are. I think only one of these is a mutation. Yeah, but that's that's such a good application for it though. It's it's just who cares? It's like it's still works fine. It's not overcomplicated at all, right? Oh, it was so yeah. It was so awesome to be able to throw out most of our Phoenix views <laughs> because it's that's all just done in view now. I mean, you the, the client can just request whatever data structure it wants, so we don't need to worry about composing functions in a nice way to build you know a JSON payload for a thing. It it the 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 absence layer just pipes it out as it as requested, which is which is great. So they kind of like removed this weird weird's not a great way to say it, but like. Just a chore of a thing. Whenever I would implement an API endpoint, and I was like, "All right, well, this touches all this other stuff because it's this this view, and it has to change, and I don't want to break anything else." But now it's just you add you add a new query or something to the GraphQL endpoint, and it just is what it is. I was doing a search the other day. I don't remember what the query was exactly, but it's something about GraphQL, and the top two results were blog posts, and the first one is why you should use GraphQL for your next project. Uh-huh. <laughs> and the second one was why you should never use GraphQL. Yeah. That's great. It's there. Are, like, obviously rest still has merits. It has, you know what it's good for. And I, I haven't really experienced or have any experience with mutations or subscriptions for that matter yet. Uh, but for what we're using for design collective, it's awesome because like I said, it removed a whole layer of a thing that we had to build previously in, in constructing the views that are, eventually, you know, serialize into JSON. And it also, it made adding to the API just that easy. It was just super easy. I add this whole new feature to the backend 
and I need to make it available to the ABI, all I do is just add a field into the type definition. And if I'm adding, you know, like new query parameters or something, I modify the query and then it's done. I'm like, here you go, Paul. You know, it's, it's just easy, easy. I think what makes it easy is that like all the decisions have kind of been made for you. Mm-hmm. Like building your own RESTful API is like, oh, it kind of, there's a there's an overarching way to do it. You implement these verbs, there's a create, there's a delete, there's an update, but but there's so many design decisions you have to make yourself. Well, what if I want to have filters? How do I do the filters? How do I do an array? How do I represent a date time? How do I uh, represent objects, nested objects? How do I you know, return error codes, right? Do I throw a 400? Is it a 200 with the error thing? Is it a 500? So many decisions you have to make and not no two REST APIs make the same decisions. I can guarantee you that. You kind of have to buy into a set of rules, right? Whether it's JSON API or whether it's Swagger or something similar. Right, right, which you can do. But then it's like, it's especially JSON API, it's like as big as adopting another framework on top of whatever you're using already. Sure, which which arguably like that's kind of what we're doing with GraphQL. Like you, you have to know and understand GraphQL and how it works, and you are relying on some you know un some non RC spec. But I just like that when you when you as a developer have an idea or a way you need, you know exactly like A B C D E. I have to do these things to get this thing wired up, and you, it's already like predetermined for you. Like you already know exactly what the steps are without having to stop and think about it and make a decision that potentially could, you know, code yourself into a corner at some point, especially with API endpoints where like now you've made a decision that kind of has to stick. Sure. <laughs> it's hard to change APIs, right? So. Yeah, that's that that's a very good point because I I keep like thinking when I think about the API a lot of my pain points were just around structuring the views a lot. Yeah. Or or structuring them in a nice way rather. And and really the whole other part of it is like figuring out like you said, just the design of your URLs, how it works together. And then you get halfway through feature and you're like, oh, I have to change this. And then I have to change all these other URLs and stuff. And it's just, there's just more work to it, I think. Like, yeah, with GraphQL, you have to like, you have to make your types and you have to make your queries and you have to consider like interfaces. But I think that's kind of a good necessary part of boilerplate. Whereas I think maybe, yeah, like the URL design is important, but it's it feels different in in my mind, I guess. Is it though? Is it like? <laughs> well, it can be. So like, yeah, you can follow REST conventions and verbs and stuff. But like, what happens when you have procedural calls that need to happen? What do you do? Do you set up right. slash some 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 uh, resource slash create right a create action on a you know create this task or do you yeah yeah and what about if you what about nested resources do you do you nest it in the previous thing what if you have users slash one slash post slash 17 but the user doesn't own post 17 yeah it's there's a lot to consider there's a lot to consider and on it to be quite honest like i don't know how i would do that in graphql either like for example if i'm posting a csv at an endpoint to maybe import some data with rest i might do some resource name slash uh, import and then a post request with a uh, you know multi part form or something like that might do the job. I don't know how to do that in GraphQL because I haven't had to yet. Yeah, I'll, I'll send you some info because I have had to do it and uh, it's actually pretty easy. Like it was surprisingly oh cool easy to set up. So that's uh, that's good to hear. Yeah, because the import thing is a real thing that I did this week. So as in like finished it yesterday. Oh <laughs> well, I didn't hog the mic this week. I did my best to talk endlessly. Is that all right? Well, it's fine. We got to get this show on the road, though, because I've been on a Diablo kick. Oh, no. And uh, yeah, Diablo 3. It's not great. It's it's kind of like fast food. Eating fast food feels good sometimes. 
So you just do it. And yeah, so I've been playing Diablo 3 as a D. Well, I can't say it's a de-stressor because I play hardcore mode, so... No, really? You're one of those. It's permadeath, yeah. I am one of those. I played D2 exclusively hardcore, Diablo 2. And uh, yeah, so I've lost this week, I've lost five necromancers, but my th- my sixth one is standing strong now. He's still alive and he's going, he's level 70. Have you seen Monty Python in the Quest for the Holy Grail where the, the they build the castle on the swamp and it and it flips over and, and sinks? Right. He was like, I built the first one and it sank into the ground. I built the second one. And that too sank in the ground. And I built a third one, and that one collapsed, set on fire, and sank in the ground. But the fourth one, <laughs> huge tracts of land. Really, all he did was just make a foundation in the swamp. So that's what your your characters are like. Yeah, they're just dead. My brother was laughing at me because he was looking at my hall of uh, what's it called? When you when you, when your hardcore character dies, it goes into like a hall of memories or something like that, so you can look at them later. And he was making fun of me. Can you put like a a uh, epitaph like you could in uh, Oregon Trail uh I don't think so that was always a thing in Oregon Trail like we had the the lab computers and if you died uh you could leave your little note for your you know your character died but of course your character would have some name like poop face rest in peace because you know it's elementary school actually if, if anyone wants to hit me up my tag is I'm optimistic because I tried that's like from Xbox days I tried so many different gamer tags and finally, I was like, I'm optimistic that it'll work, so I'll put that in and it's stuck, so I've been using that for a long time now. I've been uh, I've been playing Horizon Zero Dawn, mm. which I watched Jess play through, and it's just amazing to watch because it's such a beautiful game, and I don't mind that just sitting there and and uh, and watching while I'm doing something else, but now I'm playing through it myself. Even though I know kind of the story already, it's still challenging and fun, so. Yeah, it looks cool. I haven't had a chance to play it, though. Yeah, it's pretty good. Well, uh, as always, feedback is appreciated. Any chiming in, tell me, tell me I'm doing stupid stuff or I'm making mistakes. I appreciate that as well. Just any sort of feedback is is great. If you don't like Diablo three, that's fine. You can tell me that. Uh, if you have any game suggestions or ARPG games, I do like those. Um, hit me up. You know, I'm I'm playing a game. It's a hardcore hardcore mode right now. Is it called Life? <laughs> God damn it! <laughs> I got you. Yeah, uh, feedback. Yeah, do we just we just like to hear from you all. And if you want to give us feedback, you can tweet us at DNC Show on Twitter. Sean is Sean Washbutt, and I'm Shrockwell. And as always, show notes are available at dnc.show. So uh, I'm put all the links, things that we talk about. Uh, as I let it slip today, that I do that while we record because I don't want to do it later. And uh, yeah, so if you're interested in any of those links, go to dnc.show and check them out. I was watching you type those in real time. There's a lot of links. Go check those out. We also post them over on spectrum.chat where we'll post the show notes and then you can uh, have discussions with us about the show. You can, yeah. Actually, congrats to spectrum.chat for just merging, joining forces with the GitHub team. The uh, I think it was, I don't remember what day it was actually. I shouldn't say because I don't know, but they do in fact uh, work for GitHub now. So that's pretty cool. Congratulations to them. Holy cow. That's awesome. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, and also, if you find yourself, speaking of jobs, if you find yourself looking for a job, uh, spec.fm, not spectrum.chat, but spec.fm has a job board at spec.fm slash jobs. And right now it looks like Envision still looking for some people. Datadog is looking for some people. And Reactor is looking for some people. So if you're looking for a new job or just a change, you're looking for those greener pastures, you should go and, and check it out. And also, as always, I keep saying that I need to learn how to freshen up my content a bit, I suppose. But 
Thanks to Spec for having us. Um, if you're into other design and development related podcasts, you should definitely check out the catalog that they have over there because they've got some good ones like Fragmented and Swift Unwrapped and Developer T. So head on over there and, and check those shows out as well. The site's also really nice. It's, it's really nicely designed. I like it. It does look nice. Is it open source? I can't remember. I'll have to go look. Put that on the show notes if it is. This episode of Does Not Compute was edited by Mikhail Delport and produced by Sarah Jackson. It is, in fact, open. Is it? Let me try an incognito tab. It is open source. I'll put that in the show notes. Awesome. All right. Well, I will. Um, I'll talk to you on their side. Wish me luck. I don't. I don't want six to die. Don't die. I don't want to start seven. So. Pro tip. Here we go. I'll talk to you later. See. Ya. Thanks to Manifold for being a sponsor of Does Not Compute, and make sure to go to manifold.co/dnc to get your ten dollar credit, which you can use to try out any service on the Manifold marketplace. Mm-hmm.